He had amazing ability to wind up even though he didn't speak English. I liked him actually, I enjoyed it. You know, he was a tough guy and he was aggressive and he was he was angry. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. And I'd like to say we're joined in the studio now by former tennis uh, professional OTBM regular Jenny Claffey. Jenny, good morning to you. Good morning to you guys. How's it going? Not too bad. In yeah, morning this morning, is that a... Absolutely, I've just yeah. put the Kleenex away there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a bit of that going around in the, around the office this morning with a few certain characters. Uh, the greatest player in the greatest uh, time in men's tennis uh, was a quote from Barney Roney in The Guardian that I read last night. Is he the GOAT? Is it a qualified GOAT? I think it's fair to say he could be the undisputed GOAT. Um, looking at his tennis records, mm. you know, he's won 20 Grand Slams, 103 career t- titles. He Obviously, he's been surpassed by Nadal and, and Djokovic with Grand Slams, but I think it's, you can still consider him the greatest of all time for what he's done for the sport on and off the court. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Just with that, because like, it always, at some point, comes back to the numbers and it's hard to stack it up on that side, obviously, but um, his all-round... Uh, manner and and way seems to have really elevated him beyond the other two in a, in a way that particularly in Djokovic's case I was trying to think of the football analogies like there's um, he's probably Messi I guess yeah and Djokovic and Ronaldo I'm not quite sure where it leaves Nadal to be honest I haven't got that far in the analogy just yet <laughs> but his general way of being seems to be a thing that definitely helps elevate him in people's mind yeah he's just a true legend yeah. like and a complete role model and you know he is the epitome of a sportsman like he is how he carried himself for all for the 24 years that he was playing tennis was just amazing you know he obviously had his ups and downs throughout his career but he was just a such a champion like if you look at him he's somebody with elegance and grace and he respects the game so well mm-hmm. and it's just hard to fault him as I said like his game or the person that he was he he transcends the sport and his legacy will live on yeah, I think it's the off the pitch stuff that's it's so impressive as well and you've obviously been there as a professional tennis player so to do that for 24 years you have to be you know, an unbelievable athlete. Yeah, and his, it's also, let alone his athleticism is fantastic and, you know, it's carried him through 24 years, which is insane, like, a bit like Serena Williams, you know, they've had such a long career, longevity um, in the sport. But off court, you know, he's 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 obviously looked after his body incredibly well as, and, as well and and um, he's just somebody I think over the years he was very clever with how he played his his career you know he picked and choose picked and chose tournaments mm. that suited him the, the surface as well but also just to make sure that he was his body was in tip-top shape when it came to it um, what so what is it from your point of view like we can all sort of geek out about you know what a great guy he was and he did great things for tennis but technically what was so good about him breaking down his game you know his forehand was just arguably the greatest forehand in the game his his technique is so simple on the forehand side mm-hmm. he was able to run around his backhand a lot and um, he used his forehand to dictate all of the play pretty much his anticipation of the game was phenomenal he'd be staying very close to the baseline and would take time away from his opponents at all times um, his backhand you know he, he, I would have liked to see him play a little bit more offensively with his backhand but he was still very he's very solid on the backhand side he would play with a lot of topspin whereas his forehand he would mix it up more he was able to hit with like more flat more topspin and angle so he was able to exploit all areas of the court with his forehand and then again his serve was just amazing too he, he didn't have the fastest serve in the game 
but it was just so accurate. So he was always able to point out his spots on the court. And the, the best thing about that was the disguise on his serve was amazing. So he, he would throw up the ball toss and the opponents would not be able to get a read on where it was going to be going until the last second when he'd contact the ball, you'd see by the racket angle face where it was going. So um, there was a breakdown. I was watching a breakdown of his serve. Like he was serving down the tee on one side and serving slice on the same side. So they were obviously two very different serves. But you, up, up until like the last split second, you couldn't see where he was going with the serve. So that disguise obviously keeps your opponents guessing and, and therefore he was having so much success and winning with that serve and then being able to back it up with that dominant forehand. Yeah, you mentioned about the power there as well. I did read a quote with him at some point early in his career where he was saying like when he felt as if he was hitting the ball he could almost leave a hole in the ground and obviously that sort of diminishes after a while. So was that... Was that um smart sort of disguising of his shots or like that sort of cute play or more technical play was that always a part was he once a power game and then it morphed into something when he got a bit older or was that always there throughout his career well sorry also to mention his movement was amazing too so he had that as well like the anticipation and movement like he just looked like he glided around the court yeah. it was just like it was scary watching him he looked like so effortless and that's mm. how he made the game look but the power he's made adaptations throughout his career on his game because that power you can, you can play a power game but he also was a servant volleyer as well in the beginning of his career like when he beat Pete Sampras in, in Wimbledon in 2001, people were looking at him going, oh, that servant volleyer game style is still a part of the game. And then as as his career progressed, then he kind of mixed things up a little bit more and then became very dominant with the forehand and playing with the power. But he did mix things up so it wasn't just power the way he would play. He just had great tactical awareness and that flair on the court to be ab- and creativity to be able to mix up his game when he needed to against different oppositions. He was like he was on the scene for sort of four or five years before he won his first Grand Slam, and I don't know if you can remember that time <laughs> because you're younger than him. But do you remember that sort of was was there an excitement about him with people going, you know, sort of Rory McIlroy esque? This guy is going to sort of win a lot of Grand Slams, or was it a more of a slow burner? Do you? Yeah, when as I mentioned there, the 2001 Wimbledon when he beat Pete Sampras, like yeah. Pete Sampras was going for his fifth, I think, Wimbledon title or something, and he sh- he beat him in a in a, I think a shocking like quarterfinal or something um, match, and then people started to talk about him then, and then there was about eighteen months I think or so, or, or maybe another two years until he actually won his first Grand Slam. So there was a lot of hype there, um, and when he won in 2003 in Wimbledon, he broke down with Sue Barker in an interview, and I think he was kind of saying that this was the, the relief of the pressure expectation that people had been putting okay. on his shoulders and then from there he just dominated for the next five years like he would think he won 12 the next 18 Grand Slams which I think in, in it's, insane. it's in, incredible yeah. yeah it's just phenomenal what that, those records he had set and that's where the argue, I think, com, argument comes in about the, the greatest of all time that period of dominance he had we had never seen before in the sport and then from then you know we then have obviously Dendel and Djokovic and I think he drove them on and that's what he they were obviously incredible they are incredible athletes themselves but with those that three that top three I think Federer was the one who, who led that and brought on those guys as a standard and just speaking of Nadal um, it was so nice to hear what he said in response to the statement that he was retiring so he said that he was his friend first and then rival um, and that he wished this day would never come so to have that friendship when they also have been so competitive through the years as well. It's, it's so nice to see and it's a testament then to Federer too. Absolutely, like it's a complete testament to Federer and all the outpour of um, affection from all of the, of the tennis players. Obviously the wider the universe love Federer as well, but from all the professional tennis players if you see on Twitter or on Instagram, there's all these testaments to Federer of how he changed the sport and how he was their idol and their, he's such a role model and his legacy will live on. And like It's amazing that he has touched so many of his fellow 
um, mm. competitors mm. you know normally you go out there and it's a dog eat dog but mm. these guys he's just so lovable and, and he, he did as I said he transcends the sport it's not just his tennis but off court he's just this really underwhelmingly normal guy and I think people can relate to him and that's what's made him so popular as well as his incredible tennis <laughs> and his lovely jumpers yeah. <laughs> oh no that was terrible that jacket in Wimbledon <laughs> he'll never live that down it definitely has something like the Liverpool Spice Boys about it for sure they, why, um, so you mentioned the 12 from 18 and then obviously I mean maybe perfectly understandably things started to slow down a bit at that point it's very difficult to maintain that rate and particularly the, the arrival of the two lads and th- we were just discussing before we came on air here Colin was pointing out that the Nadal and Djokovic both had winning records against him why, what, like, why is that? Yeah, over time, I think that the, those records obviously worked in their favour. In the beginning, um, Federer was the more dominant over the two guys. Um, if you look at the, the two players, like Nadal and, and Federer had a lot of battles, obviously, over the years. But on clay court, Nadal was pretty much always the favourite. So mm. I want to blame that as the reason why he had he has a more winning record. Like, his record is a little bit bigger. I think it's 25 to 16 or something like that or it's more than that I think but 24 16 24 16 yeah, yeah so um, it would be interesting to look at those stats and see what surfaces they were on because yeah. Nadal was so dominant he's the king of clay so how many of those were on clay versus on a, on a hard or grass court mm-hmm. um, and then Djokovic they've obviously they've had played more matches than that so it's closer to those 27 to 24 27, 23 yeah. 23 okay yeah well I mean if you look at the games as I said um, I feel like Federer had, has raised their their games their how good they are uh, he had to because if they were if they wanted to catch him they had to improve the elements in their games um, like they're very different styles like if you look at Federer and, and Nadal it's like the warrior versus like this just yeah. <laughs> legend of the sport they're just very different how yeah. they play so the matchup is very different whereas Djokovic plays a little bit more similar to Federer in the terms in the, in the way that he plays like he plays quite aggressively he's up on the baseline as well mm-hmm. tries to dictate the points tries to take time away from the opponent so they're quite more of a similar matchup very different characters but similar game styles but um, over the years I think Djokovic has, has managed to figure out ways to beat Federer so I think they've managed to find a hole in his backhand um, particularly Nadal because Nadal plays this very heavy topspin left-handed forehand high into the um, Federer sorry one-handed backhand so it's very tricky for him to step in and take that early especially on clay courts because the idea behind Nadal doing that is to push your opponents back and Federer liked to play close to the baseline and dictate mm. so he was always playing at a higher the ball higher than he'd like and he wasn't able to dominate as much on that side and then with Djokovic as well I think he physically some, in some of the matches outlasted him he had to learn to be so defensively um, strong because Federer liked to dictate and play offensively Djokovic had to learn then to play he's very defensively and if you look at him he's an incredible athlete um, Djokovic on the court he picks up every ball and can play from every area on the court mm-hmm. so I think over the, in more recent years they had the upper hand on him but in the beginning he was the, he was the man Federer and even all those examples that, that you're saying like he drove them on to, to get better to improve their game in order to beat him and it's so important I feel in sport to have people like him like Serena Williams as well you know you have that person who drives tennis on really so yeah he, it's a lot of thanks to, to him for where tennis is even now at the moment yeah hugely like the, thank you to Roger you know yeah. <laughs> but also for like you know bringing up the, the profile of tennis mm. like worldwide mm. you know so many people tuned in to watch tennis because of Roger Federer in, in those early days you know it, it grew huge traction and then these rivalries amazing rivalries 
began between the t- those top three guys. You know, Murray had a bit of a look in, but not really. You know, it was mm. really Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. Those three. These are the guys that would draw the crowds at tournaments. Like ticket sales went up once jo- once Federer was playing in tournaments. He just grew this amazing fan base from all around the world. And as I said, then he br- grew the profile of tennis, which has been amazing for the sport here and abroad. Um, he does come across as that like really sort of nice guy and it does I was reading a couple of pieces last night one of them about like he had this mad temper when he was younger and (laughs) he got like he had to smash a racket at one point and ended up having to clean the toilet or something it seems like the most non-Roger Federer thing that I've ever heard that he actually managed to uh, almost get on top of that at some point, and and because there was never any evidence of that, I don't think was there. Once, once he there were, well, yeah, he, he definitely had a. Uh, there's a few videos going around. He definitely had a bit of a temper as a kid, and would mm. would actually openly talk about that and how he had to learn to manage that. Like he'd be breaking tennis rackets at ten years old. You know, there's videos right. of him. I think like as a as a little kid doing that. And um, but there has been over the years disputes with umpires and whatnot. Mm. But he always seemed to maintain his cool, collected character that he has. But you know, that's something that can be learned. You know, because I have to say in my own experience I had a fierce temper as a kid as well you, yeah, yeah I, the first time I broke tennis racket my mum said you yeah, listen you have to buy your own one next right. like so you don't I know tennis racket so I had to work I think I was working in her summer camps it's like I'm 10 years old to try and buy another tennis racket I never broke another one since why did you break it I lost a point or something. I hated <laughs> right. losing. Right. Yeah, I'm not never surprised when you hear about Federer when he was younger that that's the way he was out. I'm like, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that because he's such a fierce competitor and obviously we see what he's done. So you'd expect him to almost have that in him. And then obviously as you get older, you have more experience and you manage that as you go. So I wasn't surprised whatsoever to, to hear that. I think a lot of the, the greats would be like that. Yeah, but in, especially in, in, in an individual sport, yeah. it's all on you. So mm. like your frustration comes has to come some way and like the racket is an easy target but a really interesting fact about that actually is as a kid as I said I had like a quite a temper and whatnot. but I remember going moving to Holland for a summer to, to attend the, the summer camps and my coach like came with me and she said to the coach over there she's like you know now she's got a bit of a temper you know like so I apologise in advance and this I'm like 11 at this time and whatnot. and the coach turns to her and says that's great you can't teach that that's fire in the belly. Right. You know, yeah. you can't teach that to, to kids. We can tone it down and train it and try and express it in another way, but you can't teach that will to win and that, you know, that innate drive to be the best. Yeah. So that served me and obviously served, <laughs> well, served him a bit better than did me. <laughs> Listen, but, you yeah. did okay. You did all right. You can't be, we can't be waking up every morning comparing us all of us yeah. to Roger Federer. It's not, it's not <laughs> We'd a, never feel good about ourselves. <laughs> um, there was another, another piece last night, just, it was him talking to this reporter about like um, Messi. He seemed to be sort of obsessed with Messi almost and he was talking about like when Messi gets the ball and the three range of shot, shots there are the three options that he has, whether it's like the pass, the shoot, or the um, run, I guess. And uh, it led to a conversation about Roger Federer and the 20 options that he had as a, his forehand options, uh, 24 hand options. Is that a lot? Is 20 options a lot? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, the, yeah, it, of course, that's a huge amount. As I, as I mentioned, like he can hit with power, he can hit with spin, he can hit the angles, he can hit down, like it's the direction. Mm. You can just do so much. And like if you look at tennis as a sport, like it's amazing. You have to have this incredible physical ability as well as this technical ability. So it's quite multifaceted. Mm. And then you also have to play on different surfaces. No other sport in the world, they change the surface mm. for the athletes to play on. So, um, yeah, yeah, 20 options is quite a lot. Like, And it's probably accurate. Like, as I said, where you can put the ball on the court, there are that many options. 
and he was just so good at putting them in each of those 20. What is he going to do? Like, is he is punditry going to be a thing? Is he going to get involved in the media? Is he going to disappear into the limelight and make jumpers for the rest of his life? <laughs> he won't make much of a career. <laughs> the market will be will be niche. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if we're going to see him in the game in the coming years. Right. He did his his ending piece in it was something like you know I'll never leave you. He said, "Tennis, I love you, and I'll never leave you." I can't see him turning into a coach. Like I don't see that for him. He might do a little bit of punditry and commentary. I'd say he, that might be where we will see him again. But I'd say he'll take some time off. Obviously, he hasn't been around for the last few years as such um, with injuries and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he will. He might be, you know, have a bit of two cents to add to some commentary somewhere. Maybe OTB. Yeah, you know? I t- I t- well, listen, <laughs> we're not in the market at the minute anymore. <laughs> Let's just put that. In. I mean, if he wants to call us, who knows? <laughs> Um, he he just seems like such a. I mean, maybe I'm overstating it, but like he almost seems too nice to be a pundit in the way that he'd have to be in there commentating. Like you mentioned about Nadal, we've become great pals. We're not really rivals. Like if he's to be in there critiquing some of these people who are his friends, it's hard to see. Um, it's hard to see him be that sort of cutting pundit almost. Yeah, like that's why I, I I kind of find it a struggle to see a, a place for him in tennis. He, you know, he may continue on like the players or the, the council. Like he'll have some involvement in the sport. Yeah. I just don't think he'll be front and centre of it. But he did say, you know, it's it's well, it's over, but it's not over basically. So we will see him in some capacity. But I can't see him going into a a role like a, a day-to-day job I don't think he needs the, the money anyway so <laughs> he'll have to do something yeah. obviously and, and I think he loves the sport and that was really evident through his whole career he loves the sport mm-hmm. so it'll be hard for him to walk away so hopefully we'll see him in some capacity Yeah, yeah. I know the tennis world is morning today so uh, commiserations and house private please and all that sort of <laughs> stuff It's uh, I'm sure the, there'll be plenty more uh, uh, post-mortem said about him as well over the next while thanks a for coming in Jenny thanks, thanks guys enjoyed that OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.